Well, we're going to the garden today, so uh, get ready to go to the garden with me. In fact, we're going to four gardens. Uh, We have entitled this uh, message, The Four Gardens of Human History. And we're going to start in the Garden of Eden, where human history started. And then we're going to jump way ahead a few thousand years to the Garden of Gethsemane, where the Lord Jesus prayed. And then we're going to look at that garden tomb where he was buried. And then we're going to look lastly at that garden city of glory in Revelation 21 and 22. So that's going to be quite a sweep from Genesis to Revelation. But it's more than just a story of human history. So really it's a, a pondering of four major salvation truths. Uh, it's the truth of the fall of man in the Garden of Eden. There's the problem right there. What is wrong with this world? What's wrong with it is the people in it. And what happened to the people in it happened in Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve sinned and fell and departed from God. So we're going to look at the fall. And then we're going to look at those two gardens in the middle, the Garden of Gethsemane and the Garden Tomb where Jesus was buried. And we're going to think about His death and resurrection That's what reversed the fall, beloved. Jesus died, and Jesus rose. And because he did, the fall has been reversed for all who believe on him. And then that final garden will be the garden city of glory, where there will be no more fall and no more devil, no more sin. So ponder those with me. Turn to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, verse 8. Rejoice today if you're a believer in Jesus. If you love the Lord Jesus Christ today, let your heart just rejoice in what he has done as we lay this out before you. And if you don't know him today, run to him while you may. Hurry to him while it's today. Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart. Come to him today. Today's the day of salvation. Genesis 2.8 says, And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from thence it was parted and became into four heads. The name of the first is Pisan, that is it which composite the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. There is Delium and the onyx stone, and the name of the second river is Gihon. The same is it that composite the whole land of Ethiopia. The name of the third river is Hedekel. That is it which goeth toward the east of Assyria, and the fourth river is Euphrates. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. So here we are in the first garden. It's called the Garden of Eden. The name Eden means delight. Pleasant or pleasure. 
That's what it means. That's what the word means. Here's the first mention of it here. God is a good God. Amen? God does good things. At the end of Genesis 1, God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. We read in James, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father. We read in Psalm 16, 11, our memory verse for this week, that in his presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore, eternal pleasures. So when a Christian goes home, he goes to something better than Eden. Eden means pleasure, delight. And for the Christian to go to be with our Lord means eternal pleasure, eternal delight. It says in Psalm 84, 11, that no good thing, no good thing does God withhold from them that walk uprightly. So God puts man and woman into a garden of pleasure, a garden of delight. And in this garden, there are trees, and there is an abundance of food and an abundance of beauty. It's an extravagant, magnificent showcase of God's goodness. Look at where he puts the first couple. He gives man meaningful work to do. He doesn't say, now look at all this beauty and just stand around and fold your hands and do nothing. Man was never created to do nothing, beloved. He made us in his image, and God is a worker. And he intends for us not to be idle, but to be busy about good things. And he gives Adam a job to do before there's a fall, before there's sin. He says, this garden is just before you. I want you to rule over it and have dominion over it and dress it and keep it. And it grows so luxurious and so abundant. And there's no thorns and thistles. What a place it was. He gives him a helper, a suitable helper, a helper just for him. Adam is made from the dirt, and Eve comes out of Adam's side. Man gives birth, as it were. Man gives life to the woman, and the woman gives life to the world. But you know the best thing about the Garden of Eden? The Lord God walked in the garden in the cool of the day. The God of the garden walked with the couple in the garden. It wasn't just trees and fruit and beauty as far as the eye could see and safety. And there was no shame there. And there was no discord there. There was no hostility and argument there. Harmony and happiness and beauty and abundance. And God was right in the middle of it. Genesis 3.8 says the Lord God called out in the cool of the day walking in the garden to Adam and Eve. There are two trees named specifically. There's the tree of life. And there's another tree called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that was the one forbidden thing in the garden. It was there as a test. Will they listen to God? Will they love God? Will they follow God's commandments? You've got the whole garden. Eat of it all. It's all yours. Every tree. Look how beautiful and look how heavy with fruit it is. Enjoy it and eat it. But there's one tree you must not eat. Would they value God's commandments? Would they listen to him? Would they hear his word rightly and respond accordingly? There was a test. These were two literal trees in a literal place. We don't know where the Garden of Eden was exactly, but we got a good idea. It was somewhere along that fertile crescent there in 
around the Tigris-Euphrates River because these rivers are mentioned here. But you know, the flood happens in Genesis 6, and the flood drastically changes the whole topography of planet Earth. And so to pinpoint these exact locations today would be impossible because of the flood and the changes that the flood brought to this world. Somebody says, you sound like you believe Genesis was literal. Amen. I'm glad you figured that out. Literal history of the human world given to us by the creator himself. He tells us what he did and where he did it and how he destroyed it in judgment. Yes, I believe the Bible. With joy, I say that. If the whole world says I'm a fool, so be it. We'll see who the fool was at the end. So here was a literal place, the garden of pleasure, the garden of delight, the garden of Eden. With literal trees and two of them named Real trees, possessing special properties perhaps, eat the tree of life and you will live forever, or perhaps symbolic, is this just a test? Will you do what God said not to do? Nonetheless, the literal trees, there's somebody else in the Garden of Eden, there's a serpent, there's a liar, there's one that is an adversary, which is what Satan means, there's a tempter there. There's a deceiver there. And here's what happened in the Garden of Eden. Adam the first took of the tree and he ate and he sinned and he died. And as a result of that one act of disobedience to God, there is now in this world toil and pain and difficulty, and a God-avoidance reflex. Now people reflexively, naturally avoid God. They run from God. They create a false God, an idol. What do we see Adam and Eve doing after sin? Here comes God again, as He has always done. And instead of loving Him and delighting in Him, they run away, and they hide from Him. And God comes after them. He calls their names, and they begin to not confess their sin. They begin to blame each other for their sin. What a mess this world is. And it's all because of an act of defiance by our first parents. And, beloved, we are their children. You say, that's not right. Oh, Adam, why did you put us in this mess, Adam? Well, let me tell you. We do Adam's deeds every day. We defy the living God with pride and stubbornness and idolatry. We listen to the world instead of what God says. There's two voices now in the garden. God says, thou shalt not eat. And Satan says, why did he say that? You go ahead and eat. And so who are you going to listen to? And every day we have the same choice. Who are we going to listen to? Who are we going to follow? Who are we going to obey? And Adam died spiritually Right then when he defied God, that sweet bond was broken. That delight in God was torn asunder. And it would be a little while later, Adam and Eve would die physically. They were made from the dirt, Adam was, and he would go back to the dirt in death. And so there is the first garden. The garden of pleasure has become a garden of pain. 
This garden of abundance and beauty is now overrun with thorns and thistles and contention and divisiveness. God drives them out of the garden and he places angels, cherubim, mighty angels, and a flaming sword to protect the tree of life. We'll come back to the tree of life in Revelation. Let's go now to that second garden. We're going to jump ahead a couple of millennia. Turn to John chapter 18. John 18, verse 1. We come to the garden called Gethsemane. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the brook Kidron, where was a garden, into the which he entered and his disciples. And Judas also, which betrayed him, knew the place, for Jesus oft times resorted there with his disciples. This was a familiar and beloved place by the Lord Jesus Christ. There on the side of the Mount of Olives, there was this place where the twisted trunks of the olive trees grew in this olive grove and there was a press there and they would gather those olives and press them and squeeze out that very valuable olive oil. Gethsemane means oil press. That's literally what the word means. Eden means pleasure, delight. Gethsemane means oil press. And as the olives were pressed and the oil was collected, The Lord Jesus is there, and it was a familiar and a frequent place of his, and he went there on this occasion, and something was pressing him. What was the the weight pressing down upon the Lord Jesus here in the Garden of Gethsemane? And as it presses upon him, he doesn't yield oil. He He yields forth sweat and blood. And he says, my soul is sorrowful even unto death. If it be possible, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And he comes back and he finds them asleep. And he says, wake up, watch and pray. And he goes away about a stone's throw further and he prays the same words. And he comes back the second time and now they're, well, they're still sleeping. And he goes away the third time and prays the same thing and he comes back and, well, they're still sleeping. They sleep a lot better than they pray. And I... I'm going to be slow to condemn them at this point. How about you? In the Garden of Eden, Adam took of the tree and ate and sinned and died. Now here in the Garden of Gethsemane, Adam the second, the Lord Jesus, took the cup and he drank it and he went to the tree And he died for our sins. Do you see the difference? He takes the cup that he records. He is the holy son of God. And he sees in this cup all the filthiness of his people. Of all he will die for. All who will believe on him. He sees the, the mass of the ugliness. And he says, Father, let this pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And here he takes the cup and he drinks it all and he goes to the tree and dies for us. And here's the garden of submission. The garden of Eden was the garden of rebellion. Adam the first rebelled against God and plunged the race into sin. 
right? But here in the Garden of Gethsemane is the Garden of Submission. The Lord Jesus says, Father, your will be done. I'm not going to disobey you. I'm not going to fight against you. I'm not going to resist. And the thorns that sprang up in the Garden of Eden will soon crown his head. He will wear a crown of thorns. But more than that, thorns will pierce his soul as he bears the justice of God's wrath against your sins, Christian. And here we see in the Garden of Gethsemane, the Garden of the Oil Press, Jesus working on our behalf. And Luke, Dr. Luke tells us that his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood. And he says, my soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. Watch and pray with me for an hour. And so there, in just a few hours after that, he will be standing before Pilate and then before Caiaphas and Annas, the Jewish priests, and Pilate, the Roman governor, and Herod, the king. He will stand before the political and the religious leaders. They will go through the formality of a trial. It'll be a sham. And they'll condemn him to death. And the Lord Jesus will be lifted up and he'll die. And he will die saying, into your hands I commit my spirit. The garden of Gethsemane was the garden of submission. The Lord Jesus did what none of us have done, beloved. He never strayed. He never disobeyed. Not one time. He never spoke a cross word. He never was silent when he should have spoken. When something needed saying, he said it. We struggle with that, don't we? We say when we shouldn't say, and then we chicken out when we should say. The Lord Jesus always had a timely word. He always honored his Father. He always obeyed the law of God. That's why he is, beloved, a credentialed Savior. He's able to save us because he had no sin of his own. He's the impeccable, sinless, holy, able to save sinners, Savior. Skip ahead to the next chapter in John, and we come to the third garden, a garden tomb. John 19, verse 38. John 19, 38. And after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him leave. He came, therefore, and took the body of Jesus. And there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred-pound weight, Then they took the body of Jesus and wound it in linen clothes with the spices, as the manner of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new sepulcher wherein was never man yet laid. There laid they Jesus, therefore, because of the Jews' preparation day. For the sepulcher was nigh at hand. Verse 39. 
Then the first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early when it was yet dark unto the tomb and seeth the stone taken away. And then she runs and tells the disciples. This is the garden tomb where Jesus was buried. This is the garden of death defeated. (laughs) Death defeated. In Acts chapter 2, Peter preaches on the day of Pentecost and he says, it was not possible that he should be held by death. And so God raised him. Acts 2.24. This was the garden of triumph. The garden of the resurrection. Turn to Hebrews chapter 2, beloved. Hebrews 2.14. I think you know this verse, but look at it in your Bible. Hebrews 2.14 says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. The Lord Jesus dies and rises And by doing so, destroys Satan, who has as his chief weapon death. And he terrorizes us with death. And he holds us a slave to our fears. Well, we might die. No, beloved, we're going to die, but we're going to to take uh, death, and it'll be like a floor mat. It'll be like a, you know, know, outside our house, we've got a welcome mat. You're supposed to wipe your feet on it when you go in, but sometimes we don't do that. But that's what death is to the Christian. I'm going to wipe my feet on it, and God's going to say, welcome. You're home, beloved. Because Jesus has changed it. It used to be our worst nightmare. Now it's our taxi. Now it's just going to take us home. Now it's going to be our graduation. It's going to be our celebration day. This is for the Christian only. Salvation is not by death. Salvation is by grace. Not everybody that dies goes to heaven. Everybody that dies, we tend to think, well, he's in a better place. Is he? What right do you have to think that? Did he follow Jesus while he lived in this world? If if not, at death, he didn't change. At death, he died. His day of grace ended. He died, and he's lifting up his eyes in hell. Not everybody goes to heaven. Have we forgot that? You say, well, they were a church member. They claimed to be a Christian. But beloved, it's not enough to claim, is it? It's not enough to make a profession. Let the fruits of a Christian be seen. If there's a new heart inside of us, there will be a new life outside of us. There will be the fruits of salvation. I fear, I fear, I fear. Oh, how I fear. To think of so many that are deceived, that say, Lord, Lord, and never do what he says, that think they're a Christian because they live in a Christian nation, if we can still even say that or think that, that have a Bible somewhere, that got married in a church, that says prayers sometimes, but where's the love of the Lord Jesus Christ in that beloved person in that one? Where is the devotion to Christ? Where is that sincere 
valuing of Him. Search your heart, beloved. This is the third garden where the Lord Jesus is laid. And on the third day, He comes out like the first fruits of the harvest. Paul uses that argument in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, as in Adam all die, so in Christ all shall be made alive. But every man in his order, Christ the firstfruits, and afterwards they that are Christ at his coming. So when Jesus comes out of that tomb, he is the first fruits of a harvest that is going to follow. He comes forth out of the tomb, defeating death, crushing Satan's head. And there will be a great number of followers who will also come forth victorious over death. Paul describes them in 1 Corinthians 15, 23, as they that are Christ's at his coming. When we take the Lord's Supper, we remember him. Paul says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. He's coming. He's coming. Because he's the living Lord. We proclaim his death. He was, yes, really dead. But this one who really died, really rose, really ascended, and is really coming back. Amen. And if you love him today, that's the sign of a real salvation. If you love his grace and you love his death and burial and his resurrection, his ascension, his high priestly work there. It thrills your heart to sing before the throne of God above. I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. No tongue can bid me thence depart. Who can condemn me if Christ prays for me? And his people rejoice in Christ. We glory in Christ. All other ground is sinking sand. The resurrection of Jesus guarantees all that he has promised. The resurrection of Jesus is our assurance of eternal life. Up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph for his foes. He arose a victor over the dark domain and he lives forever with his saints to reign. It's the bedrock of our faith. Jesus truly died for me and he rose again as Lord of Lords. And that's the gospel message. This garden tomb is the garden of triumph over death. Death gives way to life. Those fallen in Adam are raised up in Christ and kept by him whoever lives to make intercession for us. And all the saints of God said. Let's look at the last garden this morning. Turn to Revelation 21. Revelation 21. In the Garden of Eden, Adam took of the tree and ate and died. In the Garden of Gethsemane, and a few hours after that, the last Adam took of the cup and he drank it all and he went to the tree, the cross, and died for our sins. 
He was placed in a tomb. Like a seed, he sprung forth in glory and immortality. He appeared for 40 days, and then he went back to heaven. Ten days later, the Holy Spirit was given on the day of Pentecost. And now we skip forward again a couple of millennia to Revelation 21 or 22, at least a couple of millennia at this point. Who knows how much longer or how much shorter it will be until this becomes a reality. We read about a, not so much just a garden here, we read about a garden city. There's the two overlapping motifs here. There's a a city, but it's like a garden. Oh, think about the cities of our world today. The cities of our world. Would you call it a garden city paradise? Everything but that. What a mass of confusion. What disorder. What chaos. What evil. What destruction. What hatred. What irreverence. What disrespect. What vileness. Those are the cities of men. Look at God's city. Revelation 21, 1. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. What a beautiful city this is like a beautiful bride on her wedding day, like a city prepared by a holy God. It's called a holy city, New Jerusalem, a holy city. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them and be their God. God is again walking with his people. Not in the Garden of Eden, but now in a garden city of glory. We're going to get to the garden part now, but we're looking at the city part. A new Jerusalem, a holy city, beautiful as a bride, adorned for her husband. And God is in the midst of his people. God is with them. He's their God. Verse 4, God wipes all tears from their eyes. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. He that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. New heaven, new earth, verse 1. New Jerusalem, verse 2. All things new, verse 5. And he said unto me, Write. For these words are true and faithful. We won't take the time, but in verses 10 through 14, it's this city is illumined by the glory of God. There's no need for a sun. There are 12 foundations of precious stones. There are 12 gates. Verse 18 says the city was pure gold. Wasn't there gold in Eden? Didn't we read about a river of life and a tree of life? And there was gold there and it was good. And here we are way at the end of human history. 
paradise restored. God is again with his people. They're not weeping anymore. They're not hiding anymore. They're not hurting anymore. They're not ashamed anymore. God has wiped their tears away, and, and the gold is good in this place. The whole city is gold. The highest of value. And we get to verse tw- uh, chapter 22, and it says, what is it here? He showed me a pure river. Didn't we read about a river in the Garden of Eden? And it went out and parted and became four rivers, and it watered the land. Well, here we read about a river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. And in the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, yielded her fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the health of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him. And they shall see His face, and His name shall be in their foreheads, and there shall be no night there. And they need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light. And they shall reign forever and ever. Just like Adam was supposed to do in Genesis 1 when God said, be fruitful and multiply and have dominion. You're supposed to reign, Adam. And Adam defaulted to Satan and forfeited his reign. Here we see at the end of human history, paradise restored. And God is with his people again. And they shall reign with him as they were created forever and ever. So what was lost in Eden is now restored in the garden city of glory. There's a tree of life and there's the river of life. Eden was a garden of death. This is a garden of life. A garden of bliss. There's no more thorns. There's no more tree of knowledge of good and evil. Where'd that tree go? Well, there's no evil, so there's no test there. There's no test. The testing time is over. Now it's just a tree of life. Come and eat. Come and drink. Life, life, life. A water of life. A tree of life. There's no tempter there. There's no deceiver, no adversary, no accuser. And so this city and garden is kind of merged into the most beautiful thing imaginable. And this is the destiny of God's people. This is our destiny. This is where we're headed. And so we wait. We're waiting for this. Adam took of the tree and ate and died. Adam the second took of the cup and went and died in our place. And here we see God taking all his children, washed in the blood of Jesus, clothed in his righteousness, takes us home to a beautiful garden city of glory. Praise his holy name. Praise his holy name. Blessed be the Father, and blessed be the Son, and blessed be the Holy Spirit. Let's stand.
just a quick summary, a sweep from Genesis to Revelation, from the paradise lost to paradise found. And it all is because of those things in the middle. Jesus dies and rises. This is our joy. This is our story. This is our song. Praising our Savior all the day long. Praise Him with me now. Father, oh, how we adore you. We lay our lives before you. Lord Jesus, thank you for being our champion, our substitute, our successful representative. We were ruined in Adam. We are rescued in the second Adam. We know, Lord, that you make this a reality by your grace. Your grace is amazing from start to finish, from eternity to eternity. We thank you that you called us in power and we heard the call and we stopped fighting and stopped resisting and we came. You gave us a tender heart. You gave us a broken heart over sin. You helped us to feel the weight of our sin. We called on you because you called us powerfully. All glory be to you and unto us. This is our future. We look ahead. We see a fearful world. Our hearts may fail us if we read the news steadily and nonstop. And, and yet, Lord, we have better things to read. We read about a world where paradise is restored even better. For this garden city will surpass Eden. In Eden, men fail. In this paradise, there will be no more falling. Your glory will have been manifest in the destruction of Satan and all the fallen angels and all the rebel men and women who would not bow the knee. They will be judged. Your justice will be vindicated. You will be glorified in your just dealings with rebels. And your mercy and grace will be magnified in saving out of every kindred, tongue, tribe, and nation a great multitude that no man could number that will gather and say, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain who has redeemed us by His blood and made us kings and priests unto our God. And so for this we wait, Lord. For this we long. For this we watch. For this we labor toward this day. Give us a calmness, a seriousness, a purpose, an undivided allegiance to you, our King. May we do what we sing. May we crown you King forever in our hearts. May we bow to your rule. May we say your will be done. Your kingdom come. For yours is the glory and the power forever, truly. And we say to this, amen and amen and amen.